Hey, you're listening to the Encounter Church podcast. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit us at ecdenver.org, or you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. I'm excited. I mean, uh, how many had kind of a, you, you had a, a, a trip back in your cognitive memory this morning as we were worshiping? How many of you are alive today? All right, well, good, good. I want to reach out to all of you, those of you online. Uh, if you were wondering why we were singing songs that were 30 years old, it's because it's Pastor Bree's birthday today, and so she was going back, and so we kind of went old school, which also fits into what we're beginning to talk about in this brand new series we're beginning today called Faith. You guys get very still. You know, Pat and I and the other pastors were talking, and, and you know, part of our job is to teach the Word so that you can take it, apply it, use it, and succeed with it, okay? You know, so that, you, that your lives begin to, to follow God's will, and so you begin to follow God's will. And one of the things we talked about is, is around 30 or, or 35 years ago, there was a movement that peaked that was, became popularly known, became popularly, popularly, <laughs> whatever that word is, popularly known as the word faith movement. And it, it, it was an incredible move of God. Now, it had some excesses. And what happened is people began to look at the excesses, and then they all ran away and pretended that no one ever heard of Oral Roberts before. And, and so people got a little, well, we don't like the excesses. But the problem is, if you just look at the excesses in any move of God, I don't care if the Protestant Reformation doesn't matter what it is. If all you do is look at the excesses, you will miss an incredible opportunity to apply revelation that will change your life. And the word faith movement did something that was supernatural and incredible. It, it caused people to begin to pray in a way that they actually expected God to hear and answer their prayers. They weren't going, dear God, if you care about me, dear God, if you're really there, dear God, if, 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 you, if you just happen to have a fraction of a second, could you sort of show me a little compassion? And people began to come boldly into the presence of God and they began to, to experience supernatural breakthroughs and, and wonderfully enlightening in, in, in and, in, and invigorating moments of, of just incarnate presence and power. And I believe that given where the kingdom of God is going, where the body of Christ is going, the last thing we need in these, these rather interesting times, is that a good euphemism, interesting times, is less faith. We need more faith. We need stronger faith. We need faith that's, that we, we know what we know and we believe it and we live it and we don't get shaken because people tell us that we're crazy because we believe stuff they don't. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about faith. And the, the, the first thing I'm going to do in this series, which is today, is I'm going to talk about faith in the Word of God. And the foundation verse for this entire series is found in the, in the letter uh, to the Hebrews Chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. You cannot please God without faith. You can't live a pleasing life without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely, or some translations say diligently, seek him. Okay? God will reward us if we seek him. 
God is real. He loves us. He cares about us. He knows our needs even before we ask. He, he looks at us and says that I, I have adopted you as my children, You're, and I'm not a horrible dad. I'm not at all like Pat. No, never mind. <laughs> or Reese or anybody else. I, I care about you, and, I, and I, want, I want to meet your needs, but more importantly, I want to set you free from the things that you're struggling with because they're, they're keeping you from living a rich and a full life, not rich in a materialistic sense, but rich in a soul sense, in a, in a holistic sense. And so we begin with that concept that God is a good God, God cares about us, God hears our prayers, and he rewards us when we diligently seek him. But the foundation of our faith is the truths that we find revealed in the Bible. This is one of Marilyn's Bibles, she's got a bunch. I stole it from her office this morning. Or, in fact, I gave my keys to Devin, and she stole it. Um, I'll put it back, I promise. But, but inside of this book is actually a collection of letters and essays and stories and, and things. There's 66 books in this Bible. It was compiled you know, over about a 2,000-year period. And the truth that this book reveals are what we put our faith in. And, and, it, and it's in putting faith in the Scripture as the Word of God that we begin to release the miraculous in our lives. Okay? What is the Bible? If somebody came up to you and said, what is the Bible? Could you answer that? Well, this, this is my definition. The Bible is the story of God's relationship with mankind in the past, in the present, and the future. By the way, there are some grammatical errors in the slides today. Apparently, I forgot English over the week, and so uh, uh, my apologies for not catching them all. This morning, I was even finding them. But, but it documents our history. Whose history? The history of the body of Christ, the history uh, of humanity. It documents our fall, how we became separated from God. And it's important to know that we became separated from God. It documents his covenants with a select group of people called the Jews, and how special they were, and, and the promises associated with worshiping and following him. He, it documents our redemption story, Jesus' death, but also his ascension, and a promise of what's coming next. Because there is a future coming, and it will be according to God's will. Okay? It's organized into the New Testament and the Old Testament, the Old Testament was, was the Old Covenant written by prophets and Moses, compiled by Jewish theologians and leaders around finally, I guess, canonized or codified, whatever the right word is, around 250 B.C. And you get into the New Testament. The New Testament contains the four Gospels, the story of Christ, his teachings on what it, it really looks like to be a follower of God's will, what God's heart is towards people. Uh, how God sees interactions. It includes the history of the early church in the book of Acts. Some people say, why should we read history out of the Bible? Because if you don't know where you came from, you probably don't understand where you are, and you certainly are limited in your revelation of where you're supposed to go in the future. Every single person in this room is a product 
of the history lived by other people, your parents, your relatives, you know, the people you interface with. And if you don't know their history, a lot of times you are ignorant about why you are the way you are. One of the first things they do with you if you ever go to intense therapies, they want to know your story. Tell me your story. Tell me your family's story. They influence us. As a young man, as I was trying to have a better relationship with my father, and I didn't have a horrible one, but we had some issues, you know, I began to have to, you know, look at my father and try to understand him as a man. And I, and I realized he grew up in, in very poor eastern Kentucky conditions. And the Holy Spirit brought me to some stories my dad had shared with me about his life. And again, I'm, I'm not looking for sob stories, but because he grew up relatively poor, uh, they lived on a farm, and his mother, you know, he would get up in the morning and go do whatever he had to do, and his mother would make breakfast. He got biscuits every day. To me, it sounds like heaven, you know, to him. I guess if you only have biscuits, it's not that good, but she would make bacon and biscuits. And for lunch to school, when he was particularly in middle school, she would take the leftover biscuits, roll up the bacon, shove it, and make biscuit sandwiches. So he would bring biscuit and bacon sandwiches to school. But he, the Lord took me to a story because he, he recalled that, and I thought, well, that sounds okay. He says, no, it wasn't okay because the other kids made fun of me because we didn't have enough money to buy bread that was sliced because sliced bread was a class distinction. So, and I had never realized how painful that was for him until he told me I would not eat in the cafeteria with the other kids. I would eat in the hallway because I was embarrassed. So my father had a real tendency to be touchy. If he thought you were insulting him, he could become unpleasant. <laughs> okay. But, but he also was very image-focused, and, and uh, he, as a young man, won an oratory contest uh, in high school. It's shocking that, that somebody in my family can do public speaking, isn't it? He ended up becoming an expert witness and testified in federal court numerous times. He was really a, a very gifted speaker. But, but as a young man, he won the oratory contest for his high school and the county. And the principal came to him and said, you know, you're going to go and represent the school at the state level and very proud. However, you have to wear a suit, and we know that you don't own one. And so we've collected all this money, and we're going to, you know, go to your mother. Well, they went to his mother, and his mother became incensed. She became very upset, and she said, she said, what do you mean? We have money for my son's suit. You don't need to give us charity. We can take care of ourselves. And she, you know, cracked open the egg money or whatever she, you know, had, because back then you just, you opened up a mason jar from the backyard or wherever they got it. And she went down into the store very publicly and bought my father his first suit so he could go to the state contest as the representative of that high school. But, but my father was very independent. He didn't like anybody to help him. And, and understanding him caused me to better understand myself. Now, I'm not sharing that with you for any other reason than, than if you look at the church of Jesus Christ in 2023, you need to understand the church of Jesus Christ in 1993, and you need to understand it in 1883, and you need to understand church history and how we grew and evolved and how we got here because it will help you grow and thrive and, and, and not be so freaked out over things that may look a little different. There's a reason for everything under the sun, Okay. Some of it's God's will, and some of it's not. So, so that's important that we understand that. And you realize in the end, the last book of the Bible, well, you have the epistles, of course, and the epistles are, are, are the writings of, of you know, Paul and, and Peter and James and John, 
to the early church on how they should live together as a community of faith. You know, how, how do you actually treat one another? And then how do you live as a community of faith in the broader community of unbelievers and the pagan people around you? And the final book is the book of Revelation, and that is a prophetic book about the judgment of God, which is to come. Did you know the judgment of God is coming? And Pat's up there going, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. And I'm going, yeah, that's good for some, not so good for others. It's good for you. You think it's good for you. <laughs> I really need to repent. <laughs> I really do. But, but, but you, you, you see that, that the Bible contains a whole bunch of really important things for us. What makes it so special? Well, two things. Number one, we believe it's inspired by God, written by men, and it's true. This is truth. Now, men wrote it. Are men perfect? No. Every woman said? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. That was... Now, if women had written it, it would have been way better. No, no. It, it's... But it, it, it is not limited by the imperfection of man who were inspired by the Spirit. You, you, it's what, everything men do is broken and damaged and whacked, but, but under the influence of the Holy Spirit, an amazing book was created, and a book that's true. And we believe it accurately reveals past interactions between God and mankind, his present will for mankind, and the future for mankind. It reveals all those three things, and those are important things to know. How did God interact with people in the past? Do you know how he interacted with people in the past? It might affect how you interact with God. It talks in present sense. It, yes, this book was written at least 2,000 years ago. The, the, the youngest verses in there are 2,000 years old approximately, but it's still applicable today. The interpersonal relations, how we, how we do those things, but it's also accurate in how we view the future how we should see ourselves and our role in a greater story that is unfolding as we go about. Why do we believe these things? We believe it's special, but why do we believe it? Well, I'm going to give you four reasons. First is this. They're not in any particular important order. The writers of the Bible clearly believed the word was special. When you read through from Genesis to Revelation... What, what writers of the Psalms and Proverbs and other books say about things like the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the, the, that's the law that Moses gave the children of Israel, what Paul wrote, what Peter wrote, what, what Jesus said about the Scriptures in the Old Testament, is, is they thought they were pretty important and fairly, fairly essential for any kind of successful living. In Joshua, it says this, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. How many of us could honestly say we meditate on the word of God day and night? I don't think I do. I meditate on things like the CU Buffs football team and Denver Broncos. <laughs> it looks good so far. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Maybe the deal is that I'm partially successful in my life because I'm partially meditating on the Word of God. 
I like what David said in Psalm 19.7. The instructions of the Lord are perfect. Perfect. Anybody been to a restaurant lately and everything you order, they go, perfect. Have you noticed that? That's the new buzzword. It's just perfect. Not sure I like it. All right. <laughs> and they say the instructions of the Lord are perfect, revealing, reviving the soul. They also reveal the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And then in Psalm 119, 105, he says this, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Going into the New Testament, Timothy was, was encouraged by Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. He said, You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It is essential that we begin to understand this book as more than just a philosophical treatise on a theoretical God but begin to see it as what it is, which is an accurate story of the relationship between God and mankind in the past, in the present, and in the future. But that's not the only reason we believe it. History confirms it. Prophetic history. You, you read the prophecies in the Old Testament, and then you realize that what God prophesied actually came true. That's a pretty good witness. Isn't that a pretty good witness? Second reason is archaeology. Archaeology continues to validate what the Old Testament says. For hundreds of years, archaeologists said that there was no such people as the Hittites until they found the Hittites. <laughs> they go, oh, they got a Bible there. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's not that. You know, oh, there are Hittites? Well, what do you know? There's people questioning whether King David really had a cool palace. There were, uh, you know, really, it was just being, you know, exaggerated a bit. It was, and then they found King David's palace, and it's pretty cool. You can visit it in Israel. The Bible is true. Archaeology shows it. Prophetic fulfillment shows it. There is the witness of if it's, its efficacy. Efficacy, the effect of the Word of God on people's lives. We were talking this morning about well, we were actually praying over people with addictive issues and, and other things. And we were saying how, how unfortunate it is that, that all of the efforts to break addictions that, are not, that, are, that do not include a component of faith have a much, much, much lower percentage success rate than those that do. And why is that? Because God is real, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And he doesn't want anybody to be a slave to sin because Christ came to break sin off of us. I mean, he did. You take a look at how it changes a thief and turns him into a, a, a fully functional part of our society. It takes a bitter, angry person and makes him compassionate and kind and gentle. It, it, takes, it takes angry young men and turns them into merciful, compassionate older men. The Bible works. It really is. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That is a theological truth, but it's also a literal reality. We don't have to stay the way we are. How many of you are a better person today than you were 20 years ago? Thank you. What's wrong with the rest of you? 
No, I can't. I just, you need the word of God. That's what you need more. I mean, the point of this is, is the Bible is meant to be freeing. And if you look at the lives it has impacted for thousands of years, you see an incredible track record of success. And finally, though, the fourth thing I said, you know, we, we talked about that, that the writers believed it was special, that the history confirms it, the witness of its efficacy, but also the witness of the Spirit of God. There is something supernatural about faith. There's something that occurs when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you realize that God is real. I remember the moment that in my life I acknowledged God is real. I was an agnostic, and then I remember, I remember being on the balcony of my dorm room in Rolla, Missouri, and I knew that wasn't true anymore. I hadn't yet given my heart to Christ, but I knew that God was real. Couldn't explain how I knew God was real. I just did. Because something had changed in my heart. Something had changed in me. And the same revelation that I had that God was real came upon me about his word as I was reading it. As a young man, a young Christian, trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing. Because, you know, I, we didn't go to church. We didn't go to church. We didn't go on Christmas or Easter. Remember Sarah looking at me, wait, wait, wait. Your family never went to church at all? Not after August 1970. The only other time I went to church was because I was dating a girl, and that was the only other reason that I went. And it wasn't a particularly, you know, good church, word-based, but, but I did go with her twice. Other than that, I had not been in a church at all. We just didn't go. And so she, it just blew her mind. But, but as a young man, when I was trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing, I remember I was reading the Gospel of John, and it just exploded in my soul, and I knew I was reading truth. And you explain that to somebody, they look at you like you're crazy. I go, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I've just experienced something you never have. So don't judge me because I've experienced what you haven't yet. Yet. And if you're struggling in your faith, you're saying, well, how do I know the word is, is, is really God's word? Maybe you should simply ask him to confirm it in your soul. I admit, it's different. It can be difficult. <laughs> Jesus was preaching about this, this new life in Christ in, in one passage, and he said, you know, you have no new life if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood. Does that sound creepy? Come on, let's be honest. That sounds creepy. It, it, the Romans thought it was creepy. The Romans early, the Romans were around... There is this group of quasi-Jews who are cannibalistic. They talk about eating a dead guy. And, and they literally, there's historical documents. They were going, I, I don't know what's up with them people, but I don't want to be one of them. And, and, and yet, and yet, you know, and again, there's a verse in John. It says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? When you understand it in the context of the communion sacrament that we receive every month here and sometimes... Well, it's actually available every Wednesday night at our space and place. You realize that he's not talking about literally eating flesh and literally drinking blood, but he's talking about, about imbibing of the life that was within Christ that by faith, by faith, by faith is available to us. So new life comes into us as we eat his flesh and drink his blood. 
I love um, this passage in Mark chapter 1, verses 27 to 28. Jesus has been teaching. He's been telling them that the kingdom of God is, is near, and he invites people to follow him, and they see the authority in his teaching. He drives out demonic uh, spirits in people. And it says that amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It is such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Jesus and his word excited them. They got stoked. They, they, they were, they were, it wasn't just another dry, boring sermon. It wasn't just another dry dissertation on the, the, the fall of the second kingdom and the captivity of Babylon. Not that that's bad. It was living. It was powerful. It did stuff. It made a difference in lives. It set the captives free. It, it, it brought healing to people. It brought revelation to people. It brought forgiveness to people. And it was an incredible experience for them. And I look at us and say, if we're going to grow in our faith, we're going to have to get excited about this book and see it as more than just a dull history lesson, but see it as the empowered Word of God that's living and active, and that it can really be the, the foundation for an incredible walk of faith where we see God reveal to us what we really need and have faith that it's going to be ours. And we see ourselves and other people differently. And when things happen around us, we look at it and go, you know, all things do work to the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. So what do we do with this? Again, we're laying the foundation. We're going to get into to, to faith. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be praying for the people who need miracles in their life. We're going to have, a, we're going to have a, a, a miracle releasing service in a couple of weeks. That should be fun. We're going to get cans of spam or pan or we call it Pam and just anoint everybody up and down the rows with spray cans of maybe not. That's a bad idea. No, probably a bad idea. Anyway. But I will say I've seen people get healed through the anointing of oil. What I want you to do then, and for real, is take out this card. It should be in the chair in front of you or behind you if you're on the front row. It says prayer request. Pat, can you help out some of those others on the front row, please? Or if you're in the back, Aaron, can you hand one forward for them? These should be there. I want you to hold this. I want you to do anything with it except take it home with you. Because what I want you to do is I want you to write down at least three things that you need that you can't do for yourself. At least three. And I want you to bring this card with you every single week over this rest of the series. I want you to pray over it as well, but, but I, want you to, I want you to begin to, 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 to actually ask God to do some impossible things for you. Because I'll tell you, you want to start putting faith in the Word of God, there, there's, there's four things that you got to do. Number one, you got to stop ignoring it. The, 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 the biggest tragedy in the church is that Bibles sit unopened. Bible apps sit unopened. We think one verse a day is somehow going to get us through crazy times. I love a verse a day. I think it's wonderful. You probably need a little deeper infusion than just a verse a day. So you stop ignoring it. 
Start reading it, okay? You let it read you. Have you ever read something that just cuts you to the quick? You read it and you go, oh, man, I was wrong. It happens to me on a disgustingly frequent basis. <laughs> You'd think at 61 and 40 whatever one years of Christianity, I'd finally figure a few things out. I think I have, but it reads us. Tells you when you've been rude, when you've been fearful, when you've been shallow, when you've been judgmental, when you've been unnecessarily, well, you fill in the blank. So you stop ignoring it. You start reading it. You let it read you. And then instead of just praying about your problems, you apply the promises of God to your problems. So you say, well, what does that mean? You find a verse where God says he's going to do something that you need. I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging bread. Every single parent in the world should confess that over their families. Man, my, it's tough, but we're going to get through this. Believers lay hands on the sick and they recover. I thank you, God, that I'm not exiting this planet until it's your time for me to exit this planet. Amen? Um, all of the days that you have assigned me, I'm going to live. Not one day more, not one day less. And until that time, I'm going to stand in faith. You said that we'd be covered with favor as a shield. You said that though our enemies rise up against us one way, they will flee us seven. There's promises in here. We're going to talk about those in the coming weeks. So I want you to write those three or so. You can say, is it only three? I don't care how many you write. Things that you can't do for yourself that you need God to do for you. And let's believe over these next few weeks as we, as we study faith, not as a, a means to excess, but as a foundation for living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the one thing I, I would hate to fail at in my entire life is to not live a life that's pleasing to my Father. Because He loves me and He wants me to succeed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. I thank you for the power of God that it, it, is, it is documented in this, these 66 books, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that there are some that are hard to understand, but we don't, that doesn't cause us to question their validity. It just causes us to say, Lord, Put the hard things with you and leave them with you until you bring us revelation. I pray for every person lifting up their needs. I think for those online that are lifting up their needs, God, that, that you're going to meet those needs abundantly above and beyond what they could ask or expect. Because that's in your word. That's not just a platitude that gets put on a bumper sticker. That's a truth from your word. And we believe that. That you're going to meet our needs abundantly above and beyond what we could ask or expect. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit ecdenver.org or find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.